first thing I did was see if I was able to uh, receive an IP address from this corporate network. And what do you know? I was able to able to see that I received an IP address. I was able to ping and get out to you know, out through the gateway. I was able to get out to the internet. And so that was how I connected. And you know, it, it's crazy because so many people say, "Well, there's no way you could have just plugged in." Well, you're right. I should not have been able to do that. This is Lock and Code, a Malwarebytes podcast. I'm your host, David Reese. Our main story today is about penetration testing. In cybersecurity and physical security, there's a field of work called penetration testing. The people who work in this field, the pen testers, are hired by organizations to run an evaluation against them by, simply put, trying to break in. That could mean hiring a team of people to break into a physical location, like a company's offices or a federal building, and it could mean hiring someone to break into a company's network, rummaging through its data and mapping out its infrastructure. In fact, pen testing can also apply to individual websites and applications. It is important work as it can help an organization understand its security vulnerabilities and how to address them. So unsecured RDP ports, a pen test could, uh, should probably reveal that. Flat access credentials that give any user access to sensitive data, a pen test could probably reveal that too. But what about physical vulnerabilities? After all, getting into an organization's network isn't the only way to breach it. A local hacker could always impersonate an employee and walk straight into an office, if, that is, they are sneaky enough. Today, we're going to look at the intersection of physical security and cybersecurity and whether the most common vulnerabilities that are uncovered in penetration testing have changed over the years. Or are organizations like people falling for the same mistakes over and over again? Do businesses have their own version of failing to use strong passwords, for instance, or failing to just not click on things? to dive into the lessons of pen testing and to hear a real life story about a successful penetration test that began with food. We're speaking with Mike Miller, VCSO of Appalachia Technologies and Mentor. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you, I appreciate that. We are very excited to have you on today's show and it all started with something that you posted on LinkedIn actually. It was this recent story about how you almost breached a company with a box of Donuts. Can you just tell me about that story? What were you hired to do? What did you do? How did you do it? Yeah, absolutely. So I was contracted for a short engagement, and uh, the object was to not necessarily see what I could hack technically from the outside, but to see if I could actually penetrate that building, you know, that organization, and get through the doors, walk in unseen. In, in certain ways and see what I could find out about that particular organization. How long could I stay in there without uh, someone calling me out? What could I do, essentially? Through the end of it, uh, it went well. I was, uh, I'm going to say, mostly undetected. I feel it was a successful engagement. And uh, of course, I was able to eat some donuts at the same time. So it doesn't get any better than that. 
So what was it like? Lead me through the day, you know, lead me through the first thing you did that morning and kind of how far you got. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the, the first part of an assessment is kind of a recon phase where you are, uh, you know, you're kind of scoping it out and you're, you're trying to learn the activities. You're trying to learn what's normal, what's not normal. And so that morning, you know, I knew I, knew I had the engagement and I went to the parking lot of this organization and I sat there. And this particular parking lot uh, had a, just a small one-way road in between the parking lot and the organization. So you had to walk across the road. So I was able to kind of sit in the parking lot, but I was able to, as I'm doing that, watch the doors and people walking in and out of this particular business. And my strategy was I wanted to go in undetected or I really didn't want anyone to talk to me. I wanted to remain as unnoticed as I could. So at this particular place, it looked like I assumed eight o'clock was pretty much the start time. And I had done some recon online to look at the hours and, you know, try to uh, you know, find out what the, what the normal operation was. So I sat in the car and uh, I waited until about, I'm going to say a little after eight o'clock, probably about 10 after eight. And as with any business, some employees can be late. You know, I, I remember the days where I was late and I'm, and I'm running, I'm in a hurry. I'm trying to hold my, I don't drink, I don't drink coffee. I drink sweet tea. So trying to, hold my, uh, my canteen of sweet tea and run into the office 10, 15 minutes late and try to get in there before anyone notices that I'm late. You know, don't interact with too many people. So this particular day, I had decided to go get five dozen Krispy Kreme donuts because let's face it, everyone likes donuts. And of course, you can't see me in this podcast, but if you could, you would say that guy definitely likes donuts. And, and so I, I, I waited in the car until about 10 after or a quarter after. And I got out of the car, walked across the road, and this particular door that I'd noticed that a lot of employees were going into was kind of a side door. It wasn't the main. So, so to back up, this was at headquarters, right? This was the main corporate office, but there was a side door. And I noticed that employees were putting their hand up against something before they go in the door. And here it was just, it was badge access, and they had to swipe a badge in order to get in the door. But it was a side door, and every time the door opened, I was able to see kind of down this long hallway, but of course I'm sitting across the road, so you couldn't see very well. So I get out of the car and I kind of time it because the parking lot's fairly big and I'm seeing other cars roll into the parking lot. And I know that these people are most likely walking this side door. So I let these people kind of go in front of me and I have my donuts and kind of following them behind and we get to the door. And of course, you know, people by nature are just nice, right? At least most people. That's just, we're just all humans. So we try to be nice to each other. And in this particular case, I, my job that I was hired for was to take advantage of that. So I get to the door and of course I don't have a badge and I'm just dressed in just casual clothes, you know, no uniform or anything. And I have this, I have this five dozen donuts that I'm holding and I kind of purposely stack these. The reason I picked five dozen is because I, I was able to hold it in a way that it would kind of cover my face. So no one really uh-huh. can make are really good. If they, if they try, they could, of course, make eye contact with me. But my goal was, I didn't want to look anybody in the eye. That was my goal. I didn't want called out. So I get to the door, and of course, I'm, I look like I'm fumbling and struggling a little bit because I got my backpack. I got these donuts. And what do you know? You know, someone that, that's late, a uh, kind lady, just held the door for me. It's what we do every day when we, when we walk in an organization, you see someone coming. We're kind people. We hold the door. So this particular lady held the door for me. All I said was, thank you. That's all I said. I, I got in the door. And the only thing I said after that, the only sentence that I spoke, 
I said, ma'am, do you mind just pointing me to the nearest break room? I said, I'm just here to deliver the donuts. That was the only verbal that I had at that point. And again, kind by nature. And, you know, who can hate a guy with five dozen donuts, right? There, there's never anyone with donuts that has bad intentions. We, you know, we, we all know that. So I assumed that she was just going to walk me down the hall. And I was prepared with what I was going to say if she was going to start some conversation. And uh, anyhow, um, she never said a word. And she just pointed me straight down the hall. She made a right turn and went another way. So here I was. I'm basically released into the wild, into this organization. No one knew me. I got donuts. And so I walked down this long corporate hall. But what I noticed was, as I'm walking down the hall, on the right side of me were a whole bunch of cubicles. Now, most of the cubicles looked like they were empty. Many organizations have just kind of temp cubicles or, you know, if you contractors come in, what have you. It looked as though... This was kind of one of those places. And one thing that I noticed, I mean, I'm walking slow, of course, because no one's with me. And I noticed that the cubicles, one of the first things I wanted to look for was, is there any personalization in these cubes? You know, do, are there photos of families up or, you know, just different things like that, that that shows me that, you know, a particular person sits there every day. And they all looked just very generic, just an empty phone, just a desk. And in fact, there were no monitors in these particular cubicles. So I just took note of that, and I didn't stop at that point. So I walk into the break room, set these donuts down, and again, my goal was to kind of be unnoticed. So going in late, I really knew that there weren't going to be too many people hanging out in the break room because, you know, mm-hmm. by now it's, it's past enough time. Uh, people, Most people got their coffee and walked to wherever they had to be. However, you know how it is. Um, there, there's still a lot of break room talk before work starts in many organizations. So there's still a few that are hanging out. And um, so I just put my donuts out on, out on a, a specific table. I took the tops off of the box and I grabbed the donut. And I just stood there and I ate one. And uh, people would come in. And the only thing I would say when people would come in is, hey, there's donuts here. Help yourself. Oh, thanks very much. Oh man, this is my this is my favorite kind. I'm like, oh, chocolate's my favorite. Like, you better get to those before I eat them. So I stand there. I have a I have a donut, and I'm just kind of leaning against the uh, the counter that's behind me. And after maybe ten minutes or so, everyone walked out of the break room. There was not a soul in the break room. So I still have my backpack on. I walk back to the cube, back to the cubicle area that I had walked past initially. And I just sat myself down in the cubicle and uh, went to work from there. Wow. I love this part where you're you're in the break room and you have donuts and you're making like small talk, like you're hamming it up, you know, because like a malicious person wouldn't do that. A malicious person would get right to work, we assume. And like you just made yourself known, you made yourself comfortable in the space and people felt comfortable around you. Just normal things that a normal person would do. Moving into, you know, when you got to work, what was that? You know, I, I assume you connected your laptop, but I don't, you know, I don't even know how. Was it connecting through Wi-Fi? Like, did they have a port, like an Ethernet? Like, what did you do next? What What are the next steps? Yeah, absolutely. This is a great question. It's funny that you asked that because when I made my post about this, I talked about how I connected. And everybody's like, well, how did you connect? You didn't have any credentials. You know, how is that possible? There, there's no way you did it, yeah. right? And so when I walked in there, I mean, I, I pretty much was certain that I was, you know, I wasn't going to be able to pop on their wireless. If I could, it might just be a guest wireless and it's not going to get me anywhere. My goal was to uh, essentially get on their corporate network. So 
I didn't even really try to get on the wireless, but I'm always carrying Cat5 cables in my backpack. So I sat my laptop down, and in this particular cubicle, you know, you have a nicer modern desk and so on, and the Cat5 jack was literally right there on the desk. So I pulled my, my laptop out, and I connected one end to my laptop and connected the other end to the Cat5 jack. And uh, I just watched my laptop for a second, and next thing you know, it said that it was connected. Well, many times a laptop, a laptop will show connected, but won't really go anywhere. So not to get too technical, but, you know, I brought up a prompt and I looked to see if I could go anywhere on the network. So um, the first thing I did was see if I was able to uh, receive an IP address from this corporate network. And what do you know? I was able to able to see that I received an IP address. I was able to ping and get out to you know, out through the gateway. I was able to get out to the Internet. And so that was how I connected. And, you know, it, it's crazy because so many people say, well, there's no way you could have just plugged in. Well, you're right. I should not have been able to do that. There should have been controls in place that that particular network jack, network port, should, should have been shut down by default. It should not have been turned on. But many organizations, which, of course, you know, we can talk about later, many organizations overlook some of these controls. And so I simply just plugged right into the network. And there I was, you know, sitting on their corporate network now. Wow. It sounds like I, I imagine some folks are hearing this and they're like, that's a nightmare scenario, you know, <laughs> like yeah. that's yeah. not what you want to happen. When you were in there, tell me a little bit more about what you were able to learn about the company and specifically, like, how could that information have been used by a threat actor? Essentially, what was the risk here? My goal was to just do further recon and see what all I could access. So now I'm sitting on the network and I bring up a tool called Nmap. And you know, for anyone that's in this field, it's a recon tool that allows you, it's a very advanced recon tool that allows you to kind of do a network sweep and see you know, what systems, ports, services are, are running on a network. And I was able to determine pretty quickly that the network that I was on, uh, it seemed to me like it was a very, what they call in technical terms, a flat network. From the looks of it, there did not look like there was much segmentation between certain areas of the network. Things weren't isolated from other things from the looks of it. So I was able to run this tool, and I was able to see basically all of the servers, all of the systems, all of the workstations, battery backup, you know, network, APC, battery backups, printers. Uh, I was basically able to see everything. So from that point, now I'm able to sit there and do the total reconnaissance of the network that I'm sitting on. And when I did this network sweep, there were literally hundreds and hundreds of IP addresses that came back to me that were live IPs. So from there, I was able to kind of take the next step. I used a scanning tool. Basically, it was a vulnerability scanner that I had used that goes a little bit further than the tool called Nmap. Uh, this one will actually scan for vulnerabilities on the network. And my goal was to be able to walk out of there with full knowledge of any vulnerability that I could find on the network, technically. So I did this scan. And the scan, when you're talking about lots of IPs, um, can take a while. So I did kind of a light scan to bring back uh, vulnerabilities as quickly as I could. Because I, you know, I really thought sooner or later, someone's going to spot me. What I have on my side, though, is these are cubicles. And I'm just a short five foot four guy. 
And so you said, even when I stand up in these cubicles, you're not going to see them. So there's just a really good chance. I could probably sit there all day, but I didn't want to take a chance. So anyhow, so I, so I let this scanner, you know, rip. I let it do its thing and sat there for, really, it was about an hour. And, uh, you know, one thing that I that I left out uh, during you know, in my LinkedIn post was, so the scanner's running in the background, right? It's looking for these vulnerabilities, but I got time to kill. I know it's going to take about... 30 minutes to an hour for the scope that I told it to scan. So again, I got time to kill. So in the meantime, I go back to my Nmap tool and I'm looking for printers. And as we all know, many organizations have these huge, you know, copiers that, that, that can just put out document after document. Well, many of these have print queues that you can actually log in and see what's actually printing, view print queue history, and so on. And of course, you know, we, we all know that many times the default passwords are never changed on these prayer slash copiers. Yeah. And it's, yeah. you know, it's overlooked. It sounds, and the thing is, everything I'm doing is very simple. I don't consider myself a smart person. All I'm doing is really stuff that's kind of common sense, right? I, I'm, I'm just trying to think a little bit malicious of, you know, what I would do if I were a bad actor. So anyhow, I log into the web interface of two or three printers, and now I'm able to sit there and literally look through history of print queues. And, you know, in organizations where there's employees and so on, who knows the things that are going to be printed out. But I was absolutely able to access, if I wanted to, I could have gone through and, and read every document that had been printed out in the past 30 days. And... If I wanted to, I could have, you know, reconfigured the printer, taken it offline, and so on. And I did notice that these printers were very heavily used, and there was always something in the print queue with these big printer copiers. So I took that hour that I had when I was scanning, you know, with my with my scanning tool, and I basically just played with printers to see what I could do there. I learned very quickly that there must not have been a process in place to change default passwords. It seems like you were able to do so much in a relatively short amount of time. And what I wanted to know is that, is like this experience that you had, is it unusual in any way? Like, or is it actually, is this actually the average level of security that you've encountered in your pen testing experiments? I think you see it more than what most people think, you know, and the reaction that I got from my post on LinkedIn um, you know, many people are saying, you know, this couldn't have happened. And I'm like, all you got to do is, you know, if you pick a hundred or, you know, if you're a drive-by, a you know, hundred medium to large size businesses, there is a good percentage of those that don't have every single control in place. It's just overlooked. And many organizations are aligned with some type of compliance framework. So I'll talk about the PCI framework for a second. So the PCI framework uh, it's for the credit card industry. You know, uh, many businesses that take credit cards have to abide by PCI compliance. Well, the PCI framework basically makes organizations have all of these things in place. You know, policies and accountability for uh, default passwords being changed. Every control you can think of, they have to have in place. However, you will always find that. People are human. People make mistakes. And so there's there's almost always a control or so on that is, that is overlooked. And the other thing that you'll find is many organizations have very premature uh, security postures. They're not held to any compliance standard. So 
it's just kind of the wild west. And to answer your question, it is more common than what most people think. You know, of course, you're not going to walk into an Amazon data center. You're not going to walk into an Apple data center like that. But you can absolutely drive down the strip and find organizations that are vulnerable. So don't do it. I mean, to, to back up, I was hired to I was hired by this specific company to test these controls. Yeah. Doing these things without being hired and you know without having proper authorization is very illegal. So I, I just I just want to point that out. But yeah, hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, because I hear the story of how it all starts, right? Five dozen donuts. And I have worked at places where five dozen donuts, it's going to work. You're going to enter that building. And it's wild because it's not even like you're going to enter maybe even one office. You could enter a whole building with many offices. And I feel like you could replicate that trick one time per dozen donuts almost. You know, It seems like something we're always going to fall for. Before we move on a little bit, because you were mentioning there, like, obviously, don't do this. Um, yeah, <laughs> like, yes. If you're not hired to do it, if you're not a pen tester who's gotten the approval. On that kind of note, have you ever been caught? Oh, yeah. Oh, I've absolutely been caught. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's good. I mean, you know, it's no fun for me when I'm caught. Oh, you know, like, my days are, you know. But absolutely, I've been caught. You have someone that calls you out, and, you know, when you walk up to a door and, you ask for someone to hold the door for you. They say, hey, um, can I see your badge? And I don't have a badge. I forgot it. I left it, left it at home. Because you know, many of these organizations are so big, they don't know everyone. They don't, they don't know everyone. On the whole effort of getting into a place and like your experience here, I wanted to also understand if ways to breach a company, ways to penetrate a company are there new ways every single day? I'm assuming the answer is yes, because we're more connected and there's more things we can do. But it's not just like, are there more ways to do it? But also, are those ways even necessary? You know, as we keep moving into the future, like, do we need new tricks? And so I'm just, it's, it's kind of a multifaceted question here. Are there new penetration methods? You know, have they evolved in the past few years? And number two, do we even need them? You know, like, do you need a bag of new tricks to get this stuff done? Yeah, it's a great question. Here's what I'll say. So if I'm trying to penetrate a company from the outside through a technical means, I'm, I'm sitting at home from my computer trying to hack a company. Yes, there are new vulnerabilities released, you know, um, nearly every single day, new exploits and so on that you could use to potentially pivot to get to the inside. But when you're doing a physical assessment, I always say people liked donuts 40 years ago and they like donuts just as much now. And people people's mindsets, people are still kind, right? And if you look at the, the latest Verizon breach report that came out not too long ago, you look at all of the breaches that happened, I believe the number is close to 80% of every breach that has happened in, in that previous year's uh, report happened because of what we call the human element. Meaning that we are using humans, basically, we are trying to interact with them and basically leverage their kindness or fool them or trick them and that really hasn't changed. So, so you know, so like I said, there's a couple answers. And even even from the outside, from a technical standpoint, if I'm trying to hack from home, I'm still most likely going to do some type of phishing attack. Because a phishing attack, send an email out, just to, for instance, if I were to send an email out that says, hey, there's a change in dress code policy, make it look like it's coming from the vice president, many employees are going to click that. And 
you know, you could pack in, uh, you know, what they call um, reverse TCP language in there, basically, that makes a reverse connection back to you. And technically, that can be leveraged to explore the company. But really, you know, I'm doing that by using a human to interact with the file. That many times is so much easier than trying to use some type of technical, you know, vulnerability. And again, it's, this stuff isn't rocket science. That number that you cited there, right, from the Verizon report, the 80% human element, it sounds like that bears out in what you've personally seen. Am I just getting that right? And, and also, like, what are some other examples, you know, of things you've seen where it's, again, the human element is at play in the vulnerability? Mainly, I think what you're seeing now are phishing attacks. Then you're also seeing, and I, I've taken part of these, and I've been hired to do, and, uh, and calling people. Right, calling people on the phone, saying, "Hey, you know, we're we're from your local internet provider. We've had complaints from your organization that your internet's been slow. Was wondering if maybe you could run a couple things on your computer to to uh, you know tell me give me a speed test or basically just to kind of trick or fool them into doing something even over the phone that could eventually get you into their system as well. But yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty much the same thing. It, it's phishing." Taking advantage of people's kindness is, is really what it comes down to. People are just vulnerable. Something that I've been learning here in what you've been saying is that the human element is actually going to manifest itself in many ways, right? It's not just that people are going to be kind to one another in person, right? That donut example. It's also that people are going to kind of fall for tricks that happen technologically, but have that kind of social engineering aspect, right? Fishing, a problem that's never really going to go away, uh, calling people and tricking them. And so knowing that, again, the human element is responsible for so many of these vulnerabilities, I'm curious, how does an organization begin to clamp down on these things when it isn't something as simple as we need to solve phishing, we need to solve phone calls that are scams, we need to solve our door policy. It, it isn't that at all, actually. It's we need to solve behavior. Uh, how, how does a company begin to work on that? And I can tell you from my compliance background, uh, you know, doing audit and so on, so many companies think that they're doing a great job because their compliance, you know, the, the compliance requirements that they need to meet say that they need to be doing user awareness training at least once a year. By compliance standard, you know, most frameworks call for user awareness training at least once a year. Well, let's let's think about this, right? How does that make any sense? You know, we talked about the Verizon breach report. We talked about 80% of breaches happening because of the human element. And these same compliance frameworks require you to have 24-7 network monitoring. They require you to have all these things in place 24-7. However, the majority of these breaches are happening because of humans. So why are we only required to train humans once a year. You know, and, and I, I've talked about this and I've preached this for years, that companies need to, you know, instead of spending tens of thousands of dollars on a new firewall, maybe they need to step back and look at what the real risk is and maybe invest more time and resources into staff and creating a security culture that is educated and just more aware of things like that. What is that, like, what's a perfect security culture look like? Which is a, you know, like kind of a silly thing because it's probably so many things. But when you're doing a, a pen test for a client, what do you like seeing from them? Like, what are signs where you're like, this company gets it because this company 
has a good security culture? How does it bubble up? How does it show? Second guessing me. You know, if I were to walk up to that door and someone holds the door for me, maybe the person who's walking behind them says, hey, uh, don't hold that door for him. Let, let's, let's see if he's authorized to be here. If I were to call somebody on the phone to try to fool them into letting me into their computer, they say, hey, you know, wait a minute. I need to talk to my, to my manager about this and see if if we actually do have a call to you guys for, for support today. It's creating a security culture that, that you don't feel like you're ever asking any dumb question. Because people can be just intimidated and, and sometimes they feel like they're going to get frowned upon if they ask a question that they might feel is a, a dumb question. So, you know, I, I think it's when an organization has open, transparent communication and just never, never assume. Always take that next level and do your due diligence. And let's check to see if you're authorized to do this. Does that happen through, I, I'm sure that happens through many different ways. Is one of the ways, like you said, is it just ramping up training? Because there's this compliance issue where it's once a year. It sounds like bare minimum, it should be more than once a year. But is there also something where it's like, well, it's not, it's, you know, it's not like 55 times a year. Like what's the, what's the balance? I yeah, guess. absolutely. I think things can be put in place. You know, I, I talk about this a lot too. People in desktop support, every organization like this has, you know, um, this particular organization had a team of about 20 to 30 desktop support personnel. So that, that kind of tells you this, you know, at least the size of the organization. It wasn't, it was not a mom and shop, right? It was a large organization. And I always say that security starts at the front lines. You know, in cybersecurity, even a person that's working desktop support is really in cybersecurity. And the reason I say that is, you know, these are people that are getting called in because someone misclicked the link or someone has a question about something that looks suspicious. And these, these people that do desktop support, they are the first line of defense in talking to an end user. They have the ability to educate these end users every day as they're, you know, as they're reviewing tickets that are open, as they're solving problems and so on and communicating with these users. So I really think that, and you just don't see this often, but I really think that desktop support uh, and people that deal with, with the end users a lot really should have more support on being able to kind of train and educate the users that they're helping. I really like this model. I haven't actually heard of it before. Like I, we've spoken a lot about security, but this idea of like, look, there's a specific category of employee who does work in security. Maybe we don't think about it. And what if we gave them more autonomy? What if we gave them more of an educational role, a training role? Have you seen that happen? I have not. <laughs> um, it's funny because I, I posted this, you know, a lot of times when I post on LinkedIn, it's just these struggles that I have in my mind that I just kind of like throw out there. So I made a post about that months ago and, and it kind of, it went crazy, but it just, it just goes to show like, in my opinion, it's, it's definitely, like you said, giving them more leverage, giving them more tools to be able to educate the user. It is definitely a way to ramp up not only your cybersecurity program, but the security culture within an organization. There was another thing that I thought, you know, even with all the training, let's say we have a, a good environment where folks are empowered to train employees. It's an open, transparent communication, you know, there's, and whatever that looks like, that could be, you know, a Slack channel where people can ask any and all questions and they never get judgment. You know, everyone feels welcome and there's always updates, you know, regular communication. I think the one thing that 
I assume is really hard to train for is reversing that instinct to be kind. And I also wanted to ask, like, you're trying to tell people to reverse their regular behavior, you know, that kindness of open the door, you know, hold that door open for someone, because that's kind of how we've always been taught, you know, for decades. How do you go about and, you know, you're not going into an organization and saying, like, I want you guys to be jerks, right? But you're, you're trying to raise lines of defenses i wanted to get from your experience have you seen a way to effectively communicate that and really embed it into a workforce i think it all just comes down to teaching people how to communicate right i think it can work in parallel i think that you can have a very secure aware mind right but at the same time you can still be a nice person so for instance when this short guy walks up with five uh, stacks of donuts it all comes down to personality and attitude as well. There's a difference between someone saying, hey, you don't have access here. Get out of here. Versus you know, our policy says that we need to walk you to the, to the receptionist to have a visitor badge put on and get you checked in. Right? So I think people can still be kind as well as having that security culture mindset. I wanted to wrap up here on something that I think is really important that we haven't tied too many uh, strings to, like shown the connections here, but your story is both about physical security and cybersecurity. What is the relationship between both of those, right? Between having strong physical security and strong cybersecurity? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think there's two things. So first of all, when we talk about breaches and we talk about the, the 80%, whether it's technical or whether it's physical, or where I'm walking into a building, it comes down to people. People are in the first line of defense. And I like to say you better tighten up your human firewall, meaning, you know, whether it's a technical vulnerability or whether it's someone penetrating physically, we need to tighten up a human firewall so that we have proper measures put in place and we have that security mindset uh, to try to detect weird things or anomalies and so on. And the second thing, my second answer to that is proper policies and procedures will do a lot for an organization. There are still many organizations out there, businesses that that are not aligned against any type of security framework. Well, you know, you can pick a security framework and I, I love the PCI framework because, you know, just because it's so tight, you could pick that framework and kind of align your, your security posture with that framework that will allow you to have proper policies, proper procedures put in place so that there's ways to deal with things. There's accountability. There's certain protocols that we have to follow. And I think for an organization to not have any type of alignment with the framework and no policies and procedures in place, I think it's, that's really the root of many problems. And, and I also think that when policy and procedures are in place, there also has to be enforcement. Because I can tell you, you know, from an auditing standpoint, many times I'll go into an organization, the first thing I look at is the policies and procedures, and I'll see that they're seven years out of date. They haven't been reviewed. And I can tell you they're certainly not being enforced. So have, wrapping an organization around the mindset of let, let's have some governance is, is going to do huge things. Mike, thank you again so much for coming on today's show and for, you know, going through all of this with us. Absolutely. I appreciate the, uh, the opportunity more than you know. I love mentoring. Uh, my presence is mainly on LinkedIn. I love the platform. 
It's just been a great learning resource for me. So uh, feel free to look me up, Mike Miller, on LinkedIn, and I would uh, love to connect with you guys. To our listeners at home, we'll talk to you again in two weeks. Until then, stay tuned and stay safe. And remember, you can read all our cybersecurity coverage on Mauerbytes Labs at mauerbytes.com slash blog. And please, if you like what you heard today, follow and review our show. Finally, our intro music is by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com, and our outro music is by Woa from Unminus.com. Today's show was edited by Eric Johnson from LightningPod.fm. Thank you, folks.